Welcome to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky, where we help you to create more safety and enjoyment in the bedroom. I'm Natalie Viers, a pleasure and intimacy coach. And I'm Rocky Peterson, Yoni massage practitioner and pleasure educator. This is a space where you get to open your mind, be free of your inhibitions and play. Hey folks, here we are with another episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. I'm Rocky. And I'm Natalie. And today we are going to talk about how to reconnect with pleasure. And that sounds interesting because, you know, I mean, do we ever get enough pleasure? <laughs> I mean, this is this is the overarching journey that we both take people on. We have very different ways of doing it, very different approaches, you and I, which is why Rocky and I had to kind of spend some time behind the scenes really getting clear on where our mission is is united and how we're kind of addressing the same goal from from different angles. I think that if you ask, you know, there's 300 and, you know, 50 million people or something in the US and if you ask 350 million people, I think you'd get 350 million different answers about what pleasure is, right? But you know what we see is that you know, when it breaks down, there's not so many reasons for it to break down. There's why we there's, get stuck. There's not so many, or there are many. No, there are way fewer reasons why we break, why uh, things go awry than, you know, the preferences that people have for what pleasure is. Kind of what we're going to talk about today is the different ways we get stuck. There aren't as many ways to get stuck as there are ways to have pleasure is what I'm saying. We we definitely see patterns in the work that we do and the things that gum people up. I think one of the things that I've really recognized is this country in particular, America, is very not pleasure focused, very capitalistic here. There's a lot of, there is a bit of like a work hard, play hard vibe here, but you can't we're not supposed to play without the the hard work here. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of pleasure from money. <laughs> yeah, basically, like you work hard so that you can spend your money to play and there's a lot of like I don't know, more more materialistic forms of pleasure and play out there that are very popularized and one of the things that I think about what we do and one of the reasons why it's not heavily encouraged by existing systems is because it's really so much simpler than it's often made out to be to reconnect to pleasure, to begin to genuinely enjoy all the different aspects of your life again. It's not as difficult as we make it out to be. The things that we tell ourselves are in the way are not actually in the way. We just believe they're in the way. And it's actually a lot more simple than we think to remove those obstacles and instead prioritize feeling really good in our day to day. Okay. So we're not talking about the kind of pleasure that we get from getting out on our motorcycle. We certainly can. <laughs> so this stuff will work for that? We're talking about all forms of pleasure. I don't think that you can really separate. I think in order to have access to the full range of pleasure that you can experience in the bedroom, you need to also be plugged into the other forms of pleasure available to you in life. 
And I think ideally we should be focused on all the different forms at one time, not just focused on pleasure play in the bedroom. Absolutely. I mean, how boring is somebody that uh, only has one kind of play, right? Right. And I think that when we focus on the other forms of pleasure, it actually enhances what we have access to in the bedroom. But I want to I want to talk about why people are stuck and why we kind of get in this place where we feel stuck and we kind of know we're stuck, but we're not actually taking the action to get unstuck. And it's because there are aspects of this sort of black and white, less pleasurable existence that are comfortable. And we're fed a lot of messages around potential bad things that could happen if we choose pleasure too often, or if we get too playful, or if we get, you know, if we drift away too much from being serious. And we are at the same time fed so many messages around how important it is for us to appear responsible and productive and successful and all of these things that are valued for different reasons. And so we receive a lot of messages that basically say it's a waste of time to delve into pleasure, that you're wasting valuable time you could be using for something more productive. Hmm. Interesting. So that brings up a little bit of a question, and this might not be relevant, but I did hypnotherapy for years and and she told me about clients that were addicted to sex and she had to ask them, okay, well, you know, to kind of determine if you're addicted to sex, it's like, is it interrupting your ability to work? No. Is it interfering with, you know, anything else in your life? No. Well, then, you know, it's probably okay. So, I mean, people have to sometimes be told how much is too much and kind of check in with, you know, reality because, you know, some people really know how to uh, go after pleasure and other people are really critical of how much pleasure they allow themselves. I think addiction to pleasure exists as one of the side effects of having sexuality kept in the closet. I think whenever we are faced with the the forbidden fruit and we're told we're not supposed to engage with something or enjoy something or it's somehow inherently bad, it almost makes us want it that much more, especially if we were shamed for it in the past. We might have developed a really strong, like rebellious streak, like, I will have it. <laughs> that taboo is delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pendulum swinging so far in the other direction is simply a product of the culture of repression in the first place. If it was normalized to have a balance of these things, if it was normalized to take plenty of time off from work and to just do things that purely please us, if it was normalized to prioritize your sex life and your marriage, even when you have kids, all of these things, you know, we we wouldn't have this aspect where these activities are intensified and obsessed over and... I just don't think it would be nearly as as much of a problem. Same with porn addiction. Sexuality in this culture is operating at a frequency that is addictive and it doesn't have to. So we're swinging back between connected and unconnected. Is that what? Connected is like if we're looking at a pendulum, connected is is in the center in a balanced place. 
it's really swinging between two forms of disconnection. So on the one side is is repression, where we're you know not really engaging with pleasure at all and not making it a priority at all. And on the other end is obsession, where it's consuming everything in our lives and taking over, essentially. And what we're looking for is in the center, a balance where our healthy need for sexual expression and for pleasure in general is acknowledged and prioritized in a healthy way as are the other needs in our lives. Hmm, Interesting. You know, the pendulum swinging, it's kind of like how each generation raises their kids saying they're going to do it differently than their parents did it. And when their parenting perspective is informed purely on, I'm going to do it differently than they did it, all they manage to do is, is swing the pendulum to the opposite end So for example, if someone grew up with very authoritative parents, they will swing towards overly permissive, which ultimately leaves kids feeling insecure in a different way and basically has a lot of the same impacts as that authoritarian parenting. Just it's the, the flip side of the same coin. And then those kids end up raising kids that are authoritarian. (laughs) <laughs> they, yep. I mean, these things do kind of shake out a little bit generation by generation and it, and it becomes a little bit more normalized, I think, and more balanced. But yeah, no, it's that's human nature. We tend to look at the evidence in front of us and be like, I don't want to create that. So I'm going to swing in the opposite direction and try to create this. And what we actually need is to take some of what we saw or in the case of the parenting example, some of it. And then mix it with a healthy balance of the other end and finding that space in the middle where healthy balance is supported. Hmm, oh boy, with all the different opinions and judgments of society, that, that sounds like a pretty tall order. <laughs> it is. Are you excited to explore the world of pleasure? If so, head to getting off with natalieandrocky.com where you can choose your own adventure. I think one of the most important things to keep in mind, especially when we're talking about pleasure exploration, is that it's absolutely not a one-size-fits-all, that people have a very unique design when it comes to what works for them. And I think that one of the things that will heal us culturally most is the recognition of individualized needs and experiences and realizing that nothing like this is ever one size fits all. Well, that's, you know, that's definitely one of the things that I help women see in my studio is, you know, don't worry about what other people want or need. Look inside at what works for you. Where, where are you? What's, you know, What's your inspiration for pleasure? Exactly. There's all this messaging. There's all these forces out there that are working against pleasure, working against our right to just enjoy our day-to-day to the fullest. And one of the questions we have before us here is, why is it important to reconnect to pleasure? And that's one of the themes that we're going to keep coming back to in this podcast because... I truly don't think people realize still what a 
revolutionary and radical act it is to choose pleasure in one's day-to-day, to slow down, to deprioritize certain things, and to make space for our own enjoyment. There's there's so much pressure on us to go, 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 and do, 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 and there are so few voices encouraging us to even explore what would feel good or what we would enjoy doing or spending time with. And as long as we're kept in that state of being disconnected from our pleasure, we're disconnected from our sense of agency in life. We're disconnected from feeling like we have ownership over our lives. When we have a job and you know it's a nine to five and we work for a company and we're showing up day in, day out, and we're giving all of this energy to that job and we're feeling wiped out the rest of the time, basically, we're effectively in this kind of powerless state, just giving our energy and giving ourselves to someone else's creation, to, you know, someone else's machine, basically, that is, we're operating as a cog. And when we actually stop, and we can do this while working a nine to five job, but when we actually stop and start creating boundaries for ourselves around our right to spend time experiencing pleasure, where we actually start making the choices and the decisions to protect that time for ourselves and to provide it for ourselves, making sure that it's a top priority in our lives, that starts making us feel more powerful. It starts making us feel like we have more choices. So I can really relate to what you're saying here because and something comes up that I realized early, you know, like 25, 30 years ago. Anyway, this is one of the, one of the benefits of age, you know, you, you have mistakes in your life and you can look back and go, okay, yeah, I, I see what happened there. But anyway, some of the mistakes that you have that you learn a lot from is relationship failures. And, uh, and I know this sounds like I'm digressing here, but I'll come back to it. And you think, oh, you know, what happened, you know, and, and sometimes what people do that causes a relationship failure is you kind of get this mindset that, okay, I've got this relationship now, I've got pleasure, it's kind of built in, it's baked in, I've got this. And you kind of go on coast mode. And mm. what I kind of realized from the coast mode is, okay, so, you know, how much can you coast, right? Okay. Yeah. We got a relationship. We're good. And, and, you know, it's just going to, it's just going to happen naturally. You know, that's our belief system. It'll just happen naturally. And so we don't really like put the effort back into it anymore, but here's the interesting number. So I sat down and I figured out if you're in a relationship for 40 years, that's like 18,000 days. So, you know, in 18,000 days, you're bound to get, you know, like some boredom, you know, you know, or some monotony or some routine kicking. And that is kind of detrimental to pleasure. It's like, okay, I really liked that a year ago, but I'm not, I'm kind of getting tired of that. And so this is where some of getting stuck might happen is it's like, okay, well, you know, I just don't want that anymore. And we don't put something new in its place. We don't bring creativity back in. And so that's, I think, part of what we're talking about is bringing creativity back in, you know, to 
rejuvenate pleasure. It's, it isn't going to coast. Pleasure doesn't coast forever. It takes effort to put yourself in a position to experience pleasure. And it takes effort to create change when you're looking at a situation in your life and you're not satisfied with it. And I think so much of what gets us stuck is looking ahead at that effort and feeling demotivated to put that effort in, especially when we're feeling entirely disconnected from pleasure, when we're in a very depressed space. Just yesterday, I, I had a really off day and I woke up feeling, I was describing to my friends that I was feeling like I was down at the bottom of a well, like looking up at the <laughs> the hole in the sky, feeling really far away from the light. And when we're in that place, when the the feelings are heavy and positivity feels far away, the light feels far away, it really does feel like when I was in a dark place yesterday, it was it felt like if I want to feel pleasure right now, I'm going to have to put all of this effort into climb out of this well. I'm going to have to dig my fingernails into the muddy sides of the walls and pull myself out of here, possibly falling down multiple times while trying to do it. And looking up from the bottom of the well, that feels like an impossible climb. And one of the themes that I am regularly bringing up in my coaching and, and in this work is that the well is an illusion. You're not actually down in a, in a pit. You're not actually separated from pleasure to that degree. It doesn't exist on the other side of this monumental climb. It can be this small, sweet, loving little action for yourself. It can be as small as what I chose yesterday when I couldn't come up with anything else that I felt capable of doing in, in the mood that I was in. I grabbed a blanket and went out into the backyard with my son and just laid in the sun and let myself soak up some of the light of the sun. And eventually my son and I started looking for shapes in the clouds. And that was how I consciously reconnected back into pleasure is I, I laid there focusing on how good the light felt penetrating my skin and that, you know, feeling the warmth and feeling the rejuvenation of it and also consciously allowing that experience in. And for me, that was like, instead of wrenching my way out of the, the well, that was like, I like rolled over into the sunlight, <laughs> kind of, was what that effort more felt like. And that choice was accessible to me yesterday because I have a lot of practice meeting myself where I am in my present state and looking for what is available to give to myself that will improve my state, however so slightly, that I know is going to feel good to receive. Because the tendency is to see yourself down at the bottom of the well and to, to feel tempted to just remain there in isolation and you know be be motionless and you can stay down at the bottom of that well for quite a while and i have but what works instead very quickly because here i am the next day and i'm having a much better day emotionally is to take those tiny steps in the direction of pleasure and find what feels accessible what feels like you can reach it and not letting yourself buy the lie of the the well anymore. I can definitely relate to 
the little steps. When I was young, I had an employer that said, <laughs> told me, he said, you know, getting you going on a task is like pulling teeth. But he says, once you get going, you are hell on wheels. You know, he was really right. I really realized that getting going on it, whatever it is, task, pleasure, whatever, whatever we're moving towards can be kind of overwhelming when we haven't started it yet. It's like, how do I transition from where I am now into that? Right. And sometimes work is like something you don't even want to. Right. So the deal was, okay, I'm just going to go start with some little things, go do the small things, getting some tools out and getting something ready, just doing a little bit of preparation. And it's kind of like once you're doing some of the tiny little things, you, you know, your mind starts to engage and it goes, okay, the next thing is this. And then the next thing is this. And then the next thing is this. And it starts, you know, you start hearing some of that self-talk that like, you know, starts moving you along and all of a sudden you're, you know, knee deep into it. And Mm. so starting slow and, you know, just like, moving from the position that feels daunting, even to just a different place, a different location, you know, different body position, almost anything can kind of start to get you moving in the direction of the mode that you really want to be in. You just reminded me uh, how similar this conversation is to one about ADHD and other forms of neurodivergence and the relationship to dopamine. And I, I, it made me want to sort of drop in here, looking into the difference between activities that, that give our brain dopamine versus those that give us serotonin and those that give us oxytocin. Those are the three happy chemicals in the brain. I'm excited. I want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely something to be aware of, especially if you have ADHD, because our brain loves to chase dopamine in particular. And one of the things that I've learned when it comes to creating the rhythm in my day is that when I wake up and I start my day with a form of serotonin or oxytocin, I am much more likely to be relaxed and regulated and focused throughout my day than when I start with a hit of dopamine. So serotonin can come from listening to music that I love or connecting with a friend or getting outside and getting into the sun. Oxytocin I can get from cuddling with my kiddo or getting a hug from someone or doing something selfless for someone, doing something kind. Whereas dopamine, if the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I roll over and I scroll, then my brain is going to be chasing that particular form of dopamine for the rest of the day. So I'm going to be looking for those hits of something that I can get. I can also get dopamine from eating sugar or, you know, watching TV. And so I like to go for some of those more grounding, regulating forms of pleasure first thing in the morning to kind of say to my brain, like, hey, we can set this tone for the day. And diving further into like really understanding how to produce those chemicals in your brain is especially helpful if you have a neurodivergent brain. So it sounds like you've got some clarity that helps you direct your day 
direct your mood, direct how, how your pleasure is going to be. That, that, that sounds pretty cool. I never thought about it. I mean, I've got my little routine that I do every day that, you know, helps me, you know, get going and, uh, you know, I'm doing the simple things, get up and make my tea and take my shower and whatever. And that gets me rolling, but I've never thought about it for whether it's going to give me a hit of dopamine or serotonin or what was the other one? Oxytocin. Oxytocin. Which one, which one do we get from an orgasm? You know, I am actually not sure. I would guess an orgasm is oxytocin. Yeah, I think it's oxytocin. Yeah, So that would be my best guess. So whatever we can do to have an orgasm in the morning, what, what kind of a day are we going to have there? Morning orgasms are great, for sure. That starting the day with self-pleasure is not a bad way to go. Although it depends. Uh, or mutual pleasure, by the way. Or mutual pleasure, yeah. Give somebody yeah. else an oxytocin dose. Just, you know, don't get stuck in that mode. <laughs> don't get stuck having orgasms all day. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I don't know about most guys, but I once enough to get the day going. I talked about sexuality being a frequency. I think it depends on how one engages, but it can be like the intention behind it can be like self-loving or it can be like hooking into a frequency that you don't want to unhook from, if that makes sense. I really think of certain forms of sexual engagement as a frequency we tap into and it feels good to be tapped into it and so we can develop behaviors and habits around like wanting to stay tapped into it over longer periods of time and i think that's how sometimes we can get into forms of sex addiction okay we've been talking about the importance of reconnecting to pleasure why Getting out of that stuck place matters because most of us have been put in the stuck place very intentionally by the, the powers that be, we'll call them. Okay, so somebody's stuck. What, what, what do they do? What's first? What you and I have found is that we kind of, in our own different ways, take people through the same process. And the first of which is what we've already talked about a fair amount here on the podcast, but there will be plenty more discussion of of it because of its importance. And that's really doing the work to dive deep into your desires, you know, what you want and what you don't want. And also finding clarity around, like for the things that you don't want, do you not want them because of fear? And there's actually real desire under the surface there. Or you mean, you mean that you do want it, but you don't want it because of fear? Yeah. Okay. A common thing that I help women with is discerning the difference between a no rooted in fear versus a no rooted in authentic desire or lack thereof. So, you know, a lot of women will say no to things that they are actually desiring just because there's a layer of fear in the way they're covering over the desire, if that makes sense. Okay. So we're going to be talking a lot about what you want and don't want coming up in another episode. And we've got a lot of ideas on figuring out what you do want. But it sounds like we got to deal a lot with what we don't want. I mean, the reason why 
this is the starting point is because we cannot create a sense of safety with ourselves or in an interaction with someone else when we don't have clarity around this for ourselves. So many of us are conditioned to walk around our lives looking outside of ourselves for answers about things that should be coming from the inside. And if that's your experience, it's not your fault. There are so many forces in existence trying to keep us from, from this very work because it's so empowering. There are very deep reasons why we've been kept from this power. And we can't have the conversation about play and curiosity and the places that we're going with pleasure without that clarity and that safety created. Safety is so huge. And I'm kind of dealing with it with several people, you know, kind of constantly. And I keep seeing that communication is one of the pathways to start getting closer to getting things out of the way so that they can start to open up a mindset of play and curiosity. So I'll use an example that I hear often. A woman will tell me, I want to open up to him. I, I want to be inviting to him, but he's doing it wrong. His, his approach doesn't feel good to me. And so I just shut down and I don't encourage him. And she just hopes. She just wishes and prays they'll figure it out. And she just hopes that like telling him that it's wrong will lead him to a place where he'll, I guess, stab in the dark trying to figure out what's right. And we're really missing a piece here, which is that the only person responsible for communicating your desires and what you would like to experience and not experience is you. It's, it's no one else's job to try to figure that out about you. I feel like we really value like the, the quality of, especially as women of like being, being read by a man and being seen and understood by him and which is wonderful and something we love to experience. And I feel like some women are so confused and they think that this is just like some magical talent that some men have that they can just like look at you and know all the things about you. And it's like, no, those men that are so plugged in that know the things that are attuned like this, there's communication happening there. They're asking the questions. They're seeking the answers. They may not have to ask the questions verbally. There are ways to ask the questions in nonverbal ways. And some men are really good at that, but they're seeking that information and receiving it somehow. It's not just like magical mind reading. But we get re- we get derailed on that. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm you know, I'm 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 vibing with you. I'm getting it. I'm I'm feeling you, and I'm you know. So we start off like that, and then I get mixed signals, and it's like, huh? Well, I thought I had this kind of figured out. Now you're making me question if I've got it figured out. So maybe I better go into neutral for a minute and reevaluate. I think what would be better than neutral in that moment is to ask. This reminds me of like the trope that like men never ask for directions. (laughs) Like I will send a man into the grocery store for something and he will call me asking where it is before he will like find someone at the store 
and ask for directions to find the thing. And I'm like, I'm like, men, that would be my first plan. If I don't know where something is at the grocery store, I go find someone who knows where it is at the grocery store and I ask for directions. It's like so obvious. But there's this whole thing that like, I don't know, like, are you less manly if you ask for directions? And I feel like it works the same way with the clit. Like (laughs) men are so afraid that if they ask these questions, they will be viewed as less manly, less put together, I guess. It does happen. I was talking to someone recently and she was talking about her partner crying and she was appalled. I mean, it, it seemed like she was appalled at, at the fact that he was crying. And I was kind of confused about that. It's like, oh, we're still not supposed to cry. Yeah. We're, we're still not supposed to be fallible. I love when a man can cry. I, I think guys are still a little confused. It's like, is it okay now or not? Can I ask or not? You know, am I going to get in trouble if I ask you this question? Am I going to look like an idiot? Am I am I going to look like a man that doesn't know what the fuck he's doing because I'm asking you? It's a little daunting. Totally. And we need to just get over that and we need to we need to get used to asking the questions and doing the exploration and like seeking the answers because the not really sure and just kind of waiting it out and seeing how things go. It doesn't work. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I'm not afraid to ask somebody in the grocery store, but I am thinking when I'm asking somebody in the grocery store, what if they don't know? Now I get to go back out and say, I did ask. I did ask. I did ask, and they couldn't find it either. So, you know, maybe you know where it's at because they don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, guys are between a rock and a hard place sometimes. We want to step up every single time. I do Landmark Forum, and one of the things in that is that human beings like to look good. And guys, we love to look good. We want to especially look good to our partner and and appear that we've got things all figured out. So if we can step up and and do that, you know, I think our propensity is to do that. It's when we get confused and when we think that our stepping up is somehow going to not make us look good that we're going to like bow out and go, "Okay, I got to I got to wait on this one. I'm not sure what to do here." So you know, that's where I say neutral, but that's probably not the right word, but we pause. Neutral, I think, is resistance to getting vulnerable because asking the question and admitting that you're not sure is vulnerability. And it's actually very sexy vulnerability because in asking and in leading the conversation that way, you are inviting vulnerability from us, right? In answering the question, we are being vulnerable. Vulnerability leads to real depth of connection. Well, I could, I can definitely attest to that. Collectively, we are finally coming to the understanding that men being cut off from their feelings is something that weakens them, not strengthens them. And I think that a lot of the healing that needs to take place between men and women can happen in intimacy and in the bedroom through this practice of stepping into being vulnerable together and increasing the amount of communication that's happening and increasing the amount of vulnerability and exposing those parts to each other so that your bodies can experience the fact that it's safe to do so. I have a client that just asked me, what 
is intimacy to you? And that's an interesting question. And at the moment, it's like, well, asking that question is intimacy. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, delving into it. Those questions that are hard to ask, that's intimacy. Those questions that you're afraid to ask because you're not quite sure about, you know, the response. And if you are afraid of what the response is going to be, now you can't have intimacy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that communication, that hard communication, those times where it's like, okay, this is one of those places where, you know, things could blow up. If you can find a way to get that out there and start dissecting it carefully with somebody, that's where intimacy starts. Mm -hmm. We spend so much time talking about this development of safety because whether we are single and doing this on our own or partnered and doing this with someone else, we cannot get into a mindset of play and curiosity where we're really opening ourselves up to be exploring all of the different options available to us in pleasure without first developing our own sense of safety, whether individually or in partnership. So it's incredibly important to lay that groundwork and to show yourself through experience what does safety feel like in your body what contributes to a feeling of safety? How does one get there? Can you develop a practice around creating safety? Psst, you totally can, and I can help you with that. <laughs> well, and you could practice it with me. I'm I'm risky. I'm the risky guy. You know, it's like if you're coming to me, it's like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to go to this strange man and it's going to be, you know, this intimate experience. And I bend over backwards to make it feel safe so that you can challenge that fear of not necessarily feeling safe in light of something that you in fact do want. We talked about women feeling fearful before showing up to one of your sessions. And it's so true that both fear and excitement register really similarly in the body, especially uh, when we're talking about like via the perspective of the nervous system, when we're talking about the sensation of the feeling, fear energy and excitement energy are so similar. And so it makes so much sense to me that not all the women who want to come to your sessions make it because not only do they have fear coming up in association with sexual engagement, but they also have all this excitement of like the taboo and the risky and the like getting to experience something within a safe structure or, you know, looking forward to that. I can totally see how that would make some women's systems just collapse. Like they just, it's too much to handle. But the interesting thing is the, the biggest part of that work is showing up. It isn't the, anything to do with the physical. The physical is the manifestation of the, you know, the excitement and all of that. That's fine. But the big gain is showing up and going, okay. I'm okay. This, I'm glad I did this. And I managed my fear. I tackled it. Yeah. It's creating an opportunity to have a new experience. So we take that and we help you focus it and use that focus and build connection, right? Well, the third step to our work is really building habits and routines and practices around creating pleasure and connection. Whether you're single or partnered, it doesn't matter. You can 
develop a wide range of practices around pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but sensual pleasure of all kinds. And one of the main things that I support in is essentially doing the inner work to get to a place where, you know, we really feel like it's okay to be prioritizing this much pleasure this often in our lives and just moving through the experience of getting to see, you know, how the effects of that pleasure build up over time and you get to start to see your overall experience and life shift and you're having a new experience in your relationships. And just the everyday feeling of happiness and well-being. You know, pleasure is kind of the milestone to a degree of, am I happy? If we're not having pleasure in our in our life on a day-to-day basis, whether it is riding our motorcycle or driving around in our red, little red sports car or having sex, you know, we have to have moments of pleasure to have an overall feeling of, of how we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I just wrote a post on my Facebook this morning about how I realized on my mat this morning in hot yoga that my relationship to happiness and contentment has shifted so dramatically where I used to have an external relationship to happiness. I used to reach for things outside myself, people, places, and things to attempt to essentially get a hit of happiness. And I would use my relationships for that. I would use sugar for that and substances and TV and all of these things just to give me a hit of happy. And that experience had me feeling like I was constantly running after happy. And when I stood still, I was anything but. And this morning on my mat, as I was sitting in my hot yoga class, not feeling miserable, but but feeling content and at peace with what I was doing and just happy in my being, I realized that I have done all of this work to sweep away the cobwebs, to clear what I was holding in my body that wasn't pleasant to be with, that didn't feel safe to be with. And I have explored myself and gotten curious about myself enough to really understand what I value about myself and the things that I feel content about within myself. So that now my experience has shifted to one that is almost entirely inwardly informed. And the peace that comes with that, the peace of feeling like I don't need anything outside of myself in order to feel happy in this world is so liberating. I just, I wish I could just like hand it out on a platter to everybody in my life. Here, here's some happiness for you and some happiness for you. (laughs) Well, well, that brings up my list. So I was divorced when I was 30 years old. I'm 62 now. And uh, when I got divorced, I created this list that it was just something you know, that I did kind of spur of the moment. It was loving things that I could give that don't cost anything. It was kind of my way of reevaluating where I was and what I needed. Because sometimes when we're in a relationship, it's, you kind of feel like one person is, their self-esteem and value seems to be based on what 
they can get from you. You know, it's like, I need you to tell me you love me because that's the only way I can feel loved. And it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes a lot of the feelings that we get about love don't have anything to do with what someone gives us, but what we give them. And so I wanted to do my part and be, you know, giving. And so I created this list. I, I think I titled it loving things I can give that don't cost anything. And, you know, I got 30, 40 items on it and I've shared it with several people and it got dubbed my love list. Um, everybody thinks that's really cool and people like getting a copy of it. And actually part of the reason I'm talking about this is, you know, to kind of talk about what you just said, but also I'm thinking about putting a page up. I think I'm going to call it extras. And so that we can put some of these things, you know, links to your Facebook page and links to the list and other things that we're talking about. We, we probably need a page for some digital assets and some shares, I guess you would say that we can share here. So I'm going to be putting up a page and I'm going to create the list. Hopefully by next week, there'll be a page where we can share some things. And we're going to probably do something where we could use some help from our audience right now. For our podcast to take off, we could use a little bit of help in getting both listens and reviews and ratings. Reviews and ratings definitely are going to help us the most right now. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm thinking about maybe putting that up there for a little bonus for reviews or ratings. And, you know, it's going to be informal. I don't I don't have technology that's going to be able to read what's going on on those sites. So you're going to have to maybe send me a message and say, hey, I, I, I posted a review for you or I gave you a rating or something. And we will hook you up with the list or something like that. So what do you, what do you think about that, Natalie? I think that's something we could work out. Okay. So we're going to be spending the next few episodes breaking these three main things down. We're, we're going to be talking about boundaries next episode. And while it may feel like we've chewed on that significantly, there's just not enough attention paid to that conversation and even defining what a boundary is, what, what a healthy boundary is versus what is not a boundary. And then we'll be diving into developing a mindset of play and curiosity, and also how to focus on practicing pleasure and connection more in your life. And those are things that we support in our businesses. And whether you are interested in a video course from either one of us or some one-on-one coaching, we help walk you through this process of saturating your life in pleasure and finding what works best for you uniquely. I'm really excited about these episodes because, you know, I've got some pretty good ideas for people on, of course, boundaries. I, I, you know, I work really hard on boundaries, but, you know, one of the topics is what do you want and don't want? And I see a lot of people not knowing what they want, and I might have some really awesome tidbits for that. So I'm looking forward to that show. That's next one. All right. Well, that's it for today. We'll see you in the next episode. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. For more resources and ways to work with us, visit gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. Please don't forget to follow, rate, review, and share the show. Join us again next week for another stimulating episode. We're here to expand your view of what's possible in intimacy and pleasure.